Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus on the emotional connection more than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Minisode 50 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. In reality, I am Chief Yeoman Aaron. But today, you can call me Captain Aaron. And alongside me for this conversation is my best friend, co-host, and exo, the Borodin to my Ramius, Patrick. It's good to be here, Captain. Oh, gosh, I was hoping for that. <laughs> Even though I'm not playing <laughs> Ramius in that As one. I told you, I'd be okay with you doing the entire podcast in Sean Connery's voice. I might drop down occasionally. <laughs> well, we were thrilled, to say the least, when our listeners chose this film for us uh, to cover this month in anticipation of the new Jack Ryan TV show that is coming out on Amazon here very, very soon. Red October is an old-school Cold War spy thriller about a stolen Russian nuclear sub, and Sean Connery is the defecting captain. So, I mean... Sure, the book was already a hit, but this is a movie that literally could not fail. So why don't we just get right into it, shall we? Patrick, re-verify range to target. One ping only. Aaron, what? I, I just... Wait, hold on. I, Give me a ping, Patrick. One ping only, please. Hi, Captain. Well, audience... This is our spoiler warning for you. We have all seen this movie multiple times. Uh, I'm guessing that's the case for most of you listening today. But just in case there's an outlier out there, it does happen occasionally, you need to stop what you're doing. You need to put this podcast in, unless you're driving, because that wouldn't work very well. But you need to, the next opportunity you have, watch The Hump of Red October. It's a fantastic film. It is a piece of American cinema that everyone should experience. Uh, so that's our recommendation up front. We are going to spoil the heck out of it, so don't listen any further unless you're okay with that happening. Patrick, one word takeaways. What you got? Yes. Well, I was torn on what my one word takeaway was going to be. It was going to be something, and then I realized in looking at the the notes that, you know what, we're going to be talking about that something quite in depth. So I went with my backup. So my one more takeaway will get represented uh, both in as part of your one word takeaway, but also in our discussion, I hope. I picked Driven, and a movie literally and figuratively moved by a state-of-the-art drive. I couldn't help but tie that into my overall takeaway of the movie. It seems like the story is actually fueled by Jack Ryan and Marco Ramius and their specific motives, which couldn't be more different, yet they are still connectable in their humanity. And that's really what I connected with this time around was that not their relationship specifically, but the way in which their humanness, the way in which their who they were really kind of amplified the story. And I think what makes Red October such a sustainable film is is just that, that human element that's echoed in uh, really subsequent Clancy-adapted movies. Uh, but it really finds its start right here. Couldn't disagree with that at all. I think you're absolutely hitting the nail on the head, and that was one of the things that I came away from this feeling as well, was that level of humanity, that kind of 
closeness to the characters that we don't necessarily usually get in movies like this. So we, we tend to have them at more of a distance and we're observing and, and we feel in this one like we're kind of right there with them. Um, it's just a little bit of a different kind of experience. Well, my one word takeaway is riveting. When a film can keep your attention and have you on the edge of your seat completely throughout it, it has done something very, very right. And when it can do that to you on your 12th or so viewing, despite knowing every plot beat and being able to quote the dialogue, to me, it's really something special. I was just completely blown away this time at how intense the movie is after all of this time. It's been a long time since I've seen it, and it held up way better than I could have even imagined. In my opinion, it is a masterclass in how geopolitical thrillers can be made um, with memorable, minable action pieces, but yet driven by that strong cast of well-developed characters, which goes back to yours. The uh, underrated score by Basil Polidorus? I don't even know that name. I didn't know that name until I went and looked it up after hearing this score. It drives this nonstop building tension, and then... The editing and the use of color in the frames were all things I noticed this time around. These all contribute to immersing you in this race against time that is really going to come down to not winning a physical battle or a war, but who can communicate effectively and psychologically understand the motives of a supposed enemy better. So it's a brilliant movie. It's definitely one of my all-time favorites, and... Yeah, let's just pause and come back later. I'm I'm gonna go watch it again right now. Let's okay. So we'll see you guys in just a minute, <laughs> and we're back. Wow, <laughs> that great, was awesome. <laughs> that was amazing. We just did that on Rabbit, so that was just really good. <laughs> oh it's man, terrible. it's terrible. No, that's fun. Well, okay. I, I wanted to lead off just with a little bit of history, and I'm gonna tell tell mine, and then we can find out if you have any as well. But so the Hover at October. And Tom Clancy novels in general were a big part of my teenage years. And on top of that, I was in the Navy for a little over 15 years as well. So, frankly, I can relate. Um, I was not on a submarine. However, I was um, ex- I was asked to go on a submarine. I, I qualified to be uh, on a nuclear sub, and I chose the smarter path, <laughs> the one that did not send me into a situation where I might be chasing Marco Ramius um, throughout the Atlantic Ocean. But... I was then and am still now a huge fan of the way that Tom Clancy writes technically-minded fiction without being boring. It's really an achievement, and it shines through even in the screenplays of these films. I love the character of Jack Ryan so, so, so much. Um, But Patrick, what I don't know is your history with the series. And so I wondered if you had any or if it's just based on the movies for you. Well, I've never read the books, um, but I know like Tom Clancy, I really liked Michael Crichton's books for that similar reason. He had a really great balance of good storytelling and technical prowess that really encapsulated a lot of his books. And the thing is, is that his book to movie adaptations are kind of hit or miss. I mean, Jurassic Park is amazing. Um, I don't know, was The Sphere ever made into a movie? I think it was. <laughs> Forgettable, but yes. Yeah, so apparently, yeah, that that's kind of an issue. And I don't I don't remember seeing Congo either. That's a but, movie as well. <laughs> yeah. And so a lot of a lot of the credit for Clancy 
it goes to him as an author and the ability to adapt his ideas into the the film genre even though i haven't read the books i trust you and your perspective not only in the adaptation side of keeping that accuracy there but also keeping the tone i imagine that what i see on the screen is very similar to what i would read in a book as far as like the intensity the well the tension the the setting the surroundings that kind of stuff and along with the the character development my entry into the tom clancy world was actually in clear and present danger so my first experience was with harrison ford Huh. As Jack Ryan. Interesting. I watched that, and that was not the first Harrison Ford entry. It was Patriot Games, right? Right. So third movie. I, yeah. <laughs> so and like just jump right book. in. So yeah. I know. Yeah. And so it was weird to say, yeah, I love this movie. And my dad, who had been a fan of the other Clancy movies, was like, well, you should watch Patriot Games and Hunt for Red October. And I'm like, well, who is this other guy in a sub calling himself Jack Ryan? That's that's weird. And uh, so I watched. I actually watched them backwards. I watched Clear and Present Danger, then Patriot Games, and then Hunt for Red October last. And it's weird. It really is weird because one of the things that I gravitate towards is uh, is Jack's relationship with Greer. So seeing that kind of go back and forth, cinematically speaking, I told myself at some point I'm going to watch these in order. And eventually when I was in college, I watched them in the theatrical order in which they released, which definitely gave me a brand new experience but what i love about the movies is that they all exist independently like you can enjoy one without necessarily seeing yes. the others yes but there's a nice thread even though there's a actor change there's a nice thread with those three movies that's a really good point and i noticed that as well because i rewatched all of them once i watched this for the podcast i was like man i kind of want to see the rest of these again now and so i just blew through all of them i watched uh the patriot games which i love always have loved and then i watched clear and present danger which i fell in love with for the first time kind of really jumped up on my list and then i rewatched some of all fears which i remembered as being completely a train wreck and then realized it's not it's just not that great in comparison to the other three um and then even jack ryan shadow recruit is serviceable i've seen it a couple times in the last couple of years the the newest entry that has chris pine but it is very slow and kind of boring compared to the rest of these. And I mean, it was directed by Kenneth Branagh, so maybe we should have expected that, but that doesn't make it good. Um, Jack Ryan should have had a big mustache is what should have happened. He should have had a really nice mustache. (laughs) I was also going to say that some of the intensity that we see in the characters in this, I do have experience with. So while I wasn't on a sub, I did hunt subs for a time in the South Pacific. We were out at sea on a frigate, and there was a big problem with the drug trade. Well, there still is. Go figure. Um, where these smugglers were using personal submersives, and they would. It was one man submarines. They would, you know, go into the water and they would try to like sneak by the Coast Guard and the Navy to get liquid cocaine into the United States. What they would do is they would fill up most of their fuel tanks with the actual liquid cocaine, and we caught some of these guys. We ended up. Catching them on sonar, tracking them down, making them um, surface, and then we took them into custody and we put them on the top level of the ship, and and then had to you know sail around with them until we could take them into to shore and transfer them to the authorities. And so there was an an interesting experience where 
you know, some of this stuff I've actually seen. I've had helos come down on my ship and try to land people. And just like we see in the film, it's not easy. I can't imagine doing it on a submarine. I like that scene blows my mind every time because I, I expect people that are watching it to just be like, oh, you know, it's you just line them up and get them over the sub and drop. Them. No, no, it's not that simple. Um, <laughs> and so um, stuff like that really resonated with me this time around. And I, I thought it was was really cool. Um, but before we get into the plot and everything that really makes this a great thriller, I thought let's just kind of talk about the cast for a second. Specifically, you know, you just mentioned the big thing, which is Alec Baldwin as Jack Ryan. Um, mm -hmm. And then we later transition to Harrison Ford and then to Chris Pine. And now we're about to see um, what John Krasinski. I almost said Jack Car John Car or Kerouac. I don't know what I'm doing. Yes, Krasinski <laughs> as uh, <laughs> Jack Ryan. So what did you think? I initially wasn't a big fan of Alec Baldwin again because my Jack Ryan is always going to be Harrison Ford just because he was my first entry. But this time around, I really thought Alec Baldwin nailed the character of Jack Ryan, this apprehensive analyst who is thrust into the action and it's very consistent with the other movies you have this normal guy who's having to do abnormal things but you know that he has history because he's a military man he'll tell you he's an analyst and all he needs to do anytime is just draft a freaking memo and he'd rather do that than go into you know helicopters and be able to uh have to drop into subs but i i think it was the fact that it was a young alec baldwin that made it enjoyable for me i mean this is a this is a character an actor who I watched that right next door to The Departed as an older, more mature <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Alec Baldwin. And so it's a very cool just kind of contrast to see how his acting chops have, have grown. But I really think he owned the character, Jack Ryan, in a in a very solid way. I thought it was incredibly consistent, especially in light of the other movies that I loved. Yeah, I think he's amazing as Jack Ryan. And I probably would have told you prior to this rewatch that Harrison Ford is my guy. Patriot Games was the one that I remembered being the best entry in the series for me. Didn't quite end up that way when I rewatched it. I thought going through these in a period of, I think it was maybe 24 to 48 hours, all four. I See, even when I just listed off Jack Ryan's a second ago, I completely didn't mention Ben Affleck. You see how that happens? Like we just have forgotten that even after watching the movie recently, but when I did that, I saw them so close together. You know, Harrison Ford is fantastic as a Jack Ryan. But for me, I thought that the most perfect single instance of a Jack Ryan character in a movie is this Alec Baldwin performance. I, I really buy it. And it's because him as the analyst is perfectly blended. I, you know, Harrison Ford is kind of older, What is what I noticed when I watched Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger. So I don't really feel like he's still got that Marine element to him where if it need come down to it, he's got that, that kind of get up and go. Whereas Alec Baldwin is young enough for some or looks young enough that when it comes down to that moment that he's got to take the gun and do some Marine type stuff. It just feels really natural. It felt like a perfect transition between analyst and 
military experience. I agree with that. And, but I would also make the argument that when it, when you get to clear and present danger, at least, which is my favorite of the series, it's a seasoned Jack Ryan. I mean, he is weathered. He has been in this game for a long time. And, and I think that Harrison Ford, because he has such charisma as an action star, not on the level of like, you know, your, your Dwayne Johnson or your, you know, Schwarzenegger, he's, he does his own stunts. He was Indiana Jones, you know, he was Han Solo. So you have that kind of personality being brought as far as like the believability of him being able to jump off a rooftop or to chase down a, a, a running tank or whatever it is that he does in his movies. But I think that the seasoned aspect of it is what keeps me uh, with him as my favorite because his age and his acting is appropriate for those movies. I don't mm-hmm. think I would like him in Red October because he would have been too old for that. I think that's what makes Alec Baldwin so good for this one is because he's so young. He's somewhat naive, but he's still got that military background that he doesn't advertise, but it comes out when he needs to. Yeah, well, you know, he turned it down, right? That Har- I didn't know that. Harrison Ford actually turned this down. Uh, there's somebody else who turned it down, too, and I'm, I'm blanking on it, but um, it was another one of the big-name actors of the time period that said no and later wished that they had taken the role uh, because of what it ended up becoming. But... Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I I don't. I mean, I love him as Jack Ryan. I just, I think if I had to take one single performance out of the entire series, I would gravitate toward this one at this point. And the other reason for me is because it's an unfair disadvantage that Harrison Ford has due to how good he is. When I watched these movies back to back, I saw so much Indiana Jones in those two movies. (laughs) Down yeah. to the point that he is a history professor teaching history. He's got a, he's got a scene where he's in a class explaining history to students, and it looks I, I thought I was watching an Indiana Jones movie, and it kind of like rattled me a bit. And so there's just a little bit of that that I'm like, ah, you're you're too much everybody. You know, like I, I want you to be yourself. Like I want you to be Jack Ryan only. I think you were watching the Indiana Jones movie. It was the one that didn't quite make it to the big screen. I think it was Indiana Jones and the Colombian Drug Cartel. Nice. I think that was that was the <laughs> one that, that didn't quite make it uh, nationally. I think it was a limited release. <laughs> well, I wanted to mention uh, a couple other characters. For me, that stuck out. Bart Mancuso, um, played by... I'm blanking. Oh, I don't remember, but he's awesome. Wow. That's terrible. <laughs> um he is amazing. Uh, Scott Glenn from The Right Stuff. That's who it was. There we go. Phenomenal. I, I really like him. And there's, you know, him and Alec Baldwin together gave me probably one of my favorite scenes in the entire series. And the acting in this is just so great. It's that moment where Ryan is trying to convince him that Ramius is defecting. This was almost like a, a CP for me, a connecting point. Because he's saying, like, don't shoot Ramius out of the water. And he asks me about the crazy Ivans. And you just look at the way that Mancuso answers these questions. He says, what difference does that make? Ryan says, because his next one's going to be to starboard. Mancuso's like, why? Because his last was to port. And, you know, and they continue. But the way that this plays out and the way in which Mancuso leads his ship, the way he listens to Courtney B. Vance as Seaman Jones, who is another one of my standout characters, there's a great, great, great scene where he says, what do you expect me to do, Seaman Jones? You expect me to believe you over this millions of dollars of equipment? 
And he's like, yes, sir, I do. And he was like, You're, and I do too. You know what I mean? And, and that's – he displayed the kind of leadership that I'm telling you, you don't even get to see in the movies very often. But this is like real good, strong Navy leadership. And I, I just thought he was fantastic. I love those two characters. And that particular scene where, where Jonesy is trying to convince him of this – just this – left field theory that he has and it's that it's the way he interrupts him when when jones is trying to say well you know i you know i've been plotting this and he goes relax jonesy you sold me it's like you got it and i love the fact that from a leadership standpoint he trusts his crew he trusts the people in their positions and as a captain as a leader again this is probably the third time i'm talking about leadership because just it's on my brain but good leaders know where their strengths are on their team and they trust those strengths and Mancuso lives that out with Jones. And I think it's a fantastic relationship. I think the same kind of relationship exists with captain Vasily Borodin. Is that how you pronounce his name? Sure. Played by Sam, played by Sam Neill also in Jurassic park. So there's another Michael Crichton connection for you. Also not Russian. Also not Russian. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is more of a, less of a surprise in this than, the Bostonian accent was in The Departed. But seeing him and Ramius together in so many different scenes, how they look at each other, the nonverbal communication, you can tell that Ramius trusts him. And you can tell that he trusts Ramius. And there's this great scene when, when he gets shot and Ramius is just holding him as he's bleeding out. And he says something about, um, visit Montana for me. And it's just, it's a great moment because then he dies. But at that point, you know, they're, they're friends. They're, they're not just comrades, they're friends. And it was a very sincere moment because Remius had now lost a good friend of his, not just someone who was coming along to support the mission, who believed in what he believed in, but someone who really did what I believe cared about him, even though we don't get a lot of backstory behind him. And I thought that was a great relationship. And, uh, and I love Sam Neill in that role. Yeah, I like their relationship as well. Um, you know, and, and Mancuso, it's, they're so different. Mancuso at one point, you know, tells Cobb, like, go. And he blows the hatch for him and sends his little portable sub up by itself, you know, when because the Red October has to maneuver and they're being chased. And if they don't, then Cobb, who was in the little transport sub, is going to be toast. So he, he takes these actions and he... Lead. And it's interesting that you mentioned Ramius and leadership because I have a question about Ramius and leadership. I mean, on some level, he's a terrible leader. Like, I don't know that I would want to follow this guy. I mean, he has lied to his entire crew. What if they didn't want to defect? What if they didn't want to be part of this? And what it came down to that I realized is he has put every single one of their lives in danger. Not in danger from the inherent Cold War danger of a potential war with America, but knowing full well and boldly taunting the Soviet army or Soviet military on his way out. And Vasily calls him on it, rightfully so. He does this and knows they're going to come after him, but he has such an ego. He's so cocky. Like, he's like, I got, I've got this sub. I am, I know their maneuvers. I'm going to, I'm going to win. And it's, Halfway cool because he is, and he is the best, and he does. But then the other part of me was like, man, thank God I'm not like some random sailor on your ship right now, on your sub. 
He's Sean Connery. I mean, that's why he's gonna be this guy. No, he's. You're exactly right. He is not a great leader when it comes to trust and when it comes to camaraderie as far as like his crew granted his officers it was explained in the movie earlier why his officers were in on the on the thing he trained most of them and so he got to hand pick them so as far as like official like trust we believe you uh we'll follow you into this that that's a kind of leadership i don't know if it's the most effective because you're following blindly you're not you're following because you believe in the leadership of one individual, which isn't really a great way to to be led because that's a lot of risk that you're taking. I think there was at one point one of his officers was complaining about I forget what it was, but he just goes shut up <laughs> and just tells him just and it. You're right; it is a complete opposite look than what we have from Mancuso and his crew. What I do like though is that we get to see that conflict at the very end with Mancuso and and him as they are trying to both kind of be captains of this of this vessel and <laughs> you see you see Ramius essentially dictating to to Ryan you know what what knob to push and what what thing to rotate when that thing gets to 315 you know push this button he's very abrasive and it's effective, but I don't know that it's good leadership. I think it's intimidating leadership, but I don't know that it's good leadership. Yeah, I, I love the scene you're talking about. And you're right. It is like a culmination of the three of them because they're also so very strong personalities in a way, mm-hmm. Ryan, Mancuso, and Ramius. And Ryan is stuck, and he has to he's forced to choose between them. You know, Ramius is telling him to do one thing. Mancuso is telling him to do another. And ultimately, you know, Ramius gives control of the con to Mancuso. And I just love this moment because that's the moment where I'm like, okay, Ramius has to rely on someone else now mm-hmm. and he is willing to do so. And it's an American captain. And when he gives the keys of his ship and I, I keep saying that, see, I'm failing and I need to make sure that the listeners understand this. A sub is not a ship. A sub is a sub. A ship is a vessel that is over a certain amount of feet long, roughly 235 ish underneath that level of length is a boat so don't call an aircraft carrier a boat it's a ship if you're going to call a sub anything it's not a ship it's more of a boat but really it's just a sub okay lesson over just call them aircraft carriers and subs let's just call them that what they are what if it's a frigate then it's a frigate's frigate (laughs) ship okay so (laughs) that aside my point being is that it's really a cool scene when they all come together they have to work together and to accomplish the goal and go after the traitor. Um, one of the other character arcs that really gives me the feels while we're talking characters here is just when Ryan, the, the, the whole process of Ryan going from being an analyst onto the sub, I love how this starts off with him at the Pentagon and he gives his briefing and the, the kind of directness <laughs> of the secretary there when he's just like, well, when are you leaving? <laughs> and he's so giddy about it. And Ryan's like, what are you talking about? Like, me? I'm going? He's like, of course you're going. He's like, nobody else would, would do this. And and Ryan is so smart. And he's like, is this because I'm expendable? And he's like, yeah, of course it is. You know, <laughs> of course. It. Like, he knows full well what he's getting into. Right. But he also knows he's confident in his knowledge and his, his abilities, um, and especially with regards to him knowing Ramius. But I love that we got his backstory 
in pieces. Like we start off with him not liking flying and, and we get over the course of the films. This is one of the really great threads that takes us all the way through every single one is something to do with helicopter issues. And I love it because it's, it harkens back to the movie that eventually tells us his backstory, which is what shadow recruit starts with where it shows us the helicopter crash that kind of got him hurt and ended his, his Marine career. And so that is just phenomenal interweaving of, of an arc throughout all these different kind of solo films. Um, I also just really gravitate toward his idealism and his staunch belief that Ramius is good leading up to the guess work. So there's two things here. One is the guess where he says he's going to go starboard on the crazy Ivans. And we learn later learn he admits he's like, I had a 50, 50 chance. Holy crap. Like, can you imagine the movie ending at like 25 minutes earlier with a big explosion and it's all over because Ryan guest left. Right. <laughs> so there's that aspect. But then he also says to Ramius when they meet around the time where the three of them are interacting in the Red October, and he says, it is wise to study the ways of one's adversary, don't you think? And I wondered how you felt about that, because to me, that was really strong um, leadership almost quality there. You know, And I thought there was some truth to it. Well, I mean, I'm just thinking Sun Tzu at this point, the art of war. I mean, this feels like an echo of the philosophy that's in that book, this idea that it is wise to study the ways of one's adversary because of the fact that you have to know your enemy to know yourself. And it allows you to understand what your capabilities are against the person that's sitting across the table from you. You know, whether it's a chess match or a submarine shootout or a gunfight at the OK Corral, you've got to know who you're up against. And the more that you know about that person, it's, the more it becomes a psychological game as opposed to a an a game that's driven by by weapons. And that's what that's really what Red October is all about. The whole movie is about psychological warfare. How do these characters convince one another to do certain things? And they do it by deception. They do it because they understand the tendencies of one another. I mean, Ryan was confident enough in knowing Ramius to make to even guess. I mean, yes, it was 50-50, but even if it was 50-50 for a guy like me, not knowing Ramius, I wouldn't have had the confidence to be bold enough to say, yeah, he's going to go this way because that's what he does at the bottom half of every hour. And and to me, knowing Ramius, and there's a great moment on the on the sub when they're the three when they're meeting all for the first time, and he says, You probably don't remember me, but I met you a while back, and I had the pleasure of meeting your wife, and there's a pause, there's this great beat, and he goes, I'm sorry for your loss to me. Gosh, that's such a great moment because it tells me that Jack Ryan cares. It's that it's that boy scout nature that echoes in clear and present danger. And it's a consistent character trait in him. He sees the best in the world of round and even in the enemy. He absolutely does, man. You are, you hit it on the head there. And what's really great is how, subtle this is continually shown throughout the film in the moments like the one right there with the i'm sorry for your loss uh, speaking about his wife that's what he's focused on he's not focusing on the fact that he just stole a nuclear sub and is trying to get it away he's he's able to pause and bring it to that personal level another thing he does that for some reason i noticed really 
stuck out to me was the fact that when he's offered a cigarette on the USS Dallas upon arriving, he's like, no, no, I don't smoke to the Americans. But they get on the Red October and one of the Russian off officers or, or shipmates comes to him and just gives him a cigarette. And he doesn't even hesitate. He just takes it right away, lights it up like he's a smoker. And we get this really quick kind of shot of him inhaling and kind of coughing a minute. And, and there's like a, a light chuckle from Mancuso and Grin because he knows what's happening. But just to me, man, I don't know why, but that, that, that said so much about Jack Ryan because he was just totally committed to the cause. And he fully understood the volatility of the situation that there are these Americans and these Russians on a sub that is stolen and there's two conflicting captains who are both strong personalities. And what he needed to do is make sure at all costs not to raise the level of intensity between the two of them. And so he did that by just, you know what? I'm just going to take the cigarette and I'm going to smoke it. I don't care what it, meant, what it means. It's just so subtle, but like such a strong character trait to me. It's it's an olive branch, that's for sure. And, um, and I think it, it it's very, very subtle, but at the same time, very effective. Well, let's talk a little bit about intensity um which is what this movie made me feel that's why i came out of it saying it was riveting i i really think it's palpable i mean i i was literally on the edge of my seat and we use that phrase a lot it's become kind of a common thing that you throw out when you're you know really into a movie but i, I was inching further and further on the couch um as this went on and i just think it's so much because of these well-drawn characters that we've been talking about because I cared very, very much about them and about what happened to them, not just as representations of the Navy or of, of the Americans or of Russia, but of actual humans themselves. And I really think this is what thrillers should be like, a slow building intensity. And I kind of lamented that I don't see this very often anymore. I don't see films that are made like this where the action pieces are few and far between and really phenomenal, but they don't drive the story. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a movie that my one more takeaway was going to be tension <laughs> because that's what I felt as well. And I was so glad that you picked up on that, that it was something that's very intentional. But I think that something that John McTiernan does really well, the director is that he's not afraid to have gaps to create that tension, to have a few beats here and there, like moments when they are listening for a torpedo, hearing a ping, just holding off, and there's just a bunch of quiet. It'd be real easy to create chaos. It'd be real easy to create dialogue and to have stuff that fills in those gaps. But oftentimes, what I think a good director does is he knows when the silence can create just as much tension. There's a great moment in Man of Steel when the 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 noise of the scene goes completely silent and all you have is Hans Zimmer's piano score of the Man of Steel and it's it's a I won't give it away, but it's a very emotional moment. One it's probably my connecting point in that movie and it it amplifies not only the scene but the humanity of Clark. And that's really, really difficult to do because we're afraid of silence. I think we can be we, we err on the side of being more heavy-handed as creators 
than to take a step back and just let the story breathe. And I think in movies like this, the story has a chance to breathe, but that breathing brings with it that nonverbal tension. And I think that's what makes it great. Oh, man, what a great point. You're right. And it's also realistic, frankly, because on a real sub, when you're waiting to see if a torpedo's coming at you, there's nothing you can do. There's no reason to be frantic. You, you're you on a course. You either slowly change course or you don't change course. You know what I mean? Like, there is nothing to be frantic about other than you're just playing the waiting game, waiting and listening. And so I felt like it was a very good ode to what real sailors go through in these situations instead of amplifying it for cinematic effect. A couple of things that I thought added to the tension for me in a really good way was telling of the story in alternate perspectives. So going between the Red October and then the Dallas, who was looking for them. And then every once in a while, we get a quick glimpse of whatever the other sub was that was hunting down the Red October. But kind of going between these different scenarios, we got to see how the Americans thought the situation was going versus what we knew versus what the Red October was acting like the situation was was going, you know, how it was going. And I really enjoyed that, and I thought that that kept us kind of high intensity up because we knew that they didn't understand each other yet and that that had to happen at some point or this was never going to be successful. And the whole story comes from a place of not knowing Ramius's motives, right? Like that's the that's the deal. Dr. Ryan has to try and use personality profiling and what he knows about the man from research to convince them that maybe he's defecting. That's that's a huge sell when this guy has nuclear weapons. He, you know, and so rightfully so, I kind of understood when you know the president's orders were essentially you have X amount of time to take to get this done or we're blowing him out of the water because you can't take that risk. And it sucks that you're profiling and you're stereotyping and, and guessing at this point, but you know, it is what it is. It's like it's like somebody holding a gun at your face saying, Don't worry, I'm not really gonna shoot you. This isn't necessarily loaded. I'm not I'm not trying to do that. I'm doing something else. You know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go over here and shoot behind you. Don't worry. You know, it, it's hard to accept that. So that gives a lot of tension. Um, I like that the saboteur on board is not overdone. I feel like it's really masterfully input here where it's just a couple of scenes and then one nice little action set piece at the end that gets taken care of. Um, even the way that the sound design works in this, in that scene is fantastic because the pinging of the shots across the walls of the sub makes sense and is so strong because we haven't had a lot of strong sounds in the film it's like just hits you almost like you can feel it and you know it does all of this using realistic modern for the times military tech so never at one point in this film do they make stuff up it's actual equipment that exists the only thing that they make up is a backwards promotion because seaman jones is not a seaman he is a petty officer second class, and I can tell you straight up, Patrick, if you called me a seaman and I was a second class, I would be chewing your butt like none other. So that was a weird script mistake, in my opinion. But tech-wise, they get it right. And so all yeah. of that stuff just leads to that tension. I agree. And one of the things I like about sub-movies, sub-submarine movies, is the fact that 
there's just this obvious isolation that exists. And Crimson Tide, one of the ways that it creates that tension is because there's a crew that's isolated. They don't have all the information. And that's the whole thing that drives that movie. It's the same thing here. Depending on your perspective, you don't have all the information. Ramius doesn't have all the information of what the Americans are going to do. And so here's Jack Ryan who comes to complete that piece of the puzzle and vice versa. Jack Ryan doesn't have all that information. He's got a hunch. He's got analyst background. Uh, he's got memos that he wished he would have sent to the Pentagon instead of coming on this crazy mission. But he doesn't have all the answers. And so from both of those perspectives and even from the other tertiary perspectives like Greer and 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 these other characters that exist – the information isn't complete, and that's what I think makes the story wrap up so well is we're not only getting resolution of did did he make it safely to American waters, we're getting all the information. He really did want to affect, and this is – or defect, not affect. What's that? Um, but we are getting that puzzle complete for us, and I think it's very, very satisfying as an audience to finish a film, finish a story in a way that we're becoming – the sluice and getting the mystery solved alongside guys like Jack Ryan and Ramius. Man. Yep. Totally agree. Um, part of the intensity that I said a couple times, you know, we we're talking about how the action scenes aren't plentiful, but they're so good. And I just on a whim watched predator before we recorded this and didn't realize until I was done watching the film and the credits were scrolling and it said, John McTiernan, and I was like, wait a second, I'm about to podcast about a John McTiernan movie, and I realized, this guy's amazing, okay? So he did Last Action Hero, which I love. He also did Die Hard, and Die Hard with a Vengeance, and then this film, and Predator. So he's got some some chops, and, and I can see commonalities in the way that the action is done in these films. Uh, and, and there are some scenes in this that I just love. First of all, the, the helicopter delivery to me, I, it's so intense. I'm, I'm holding my breath during this. And it's an action sequence where no one's getting shot. It's not human versus human. It's human versus elements. And it's a ticking clock where if we don't get him down there, things aren't going to go. We're not going to be able to communicate. And this is all going to go south. And so the, it's, an, it's a totally different kind of motivational aspect that's going on here. We get Ryan telling... The admiral of a Navy ship, I don't care. Put me in that helicopter, strip it down of gas, and let me go. That's crazy, right, that he would say that, especially when we know his history and his distaste of flying, that he's willing to do this. It just amps that up anyway, even more for his character. But he's dedicated to getting on board because he knows what's at stake. And I love the dialogue here because the, the helicopter pilot says, fuel status says we turn back now. Ryan says, wait a minute, fuel status you have a reserve, don't you? And the pilot says, yes, sir, I've got a 10-minute reserve, but I'm not allowed to invade that except in time of war. Ryan says, listen, mister, if you don't get me on board that GD submarine, I might just have a war for you. You got me? Now you have 10 more minutes worth of fuel. We stay here 10 more minutes. He is willing to risk his own life. So he's not saying you go do this thing and putting someone else in danger. He is there, and he's like, I'm, you have to get me on this sub. And he doesn't, he doesn't, he, he ultimately ends up, you know, cutting his line and dropping into these freezing cold waters in which he could 
die pretty quickly, as we saw when the Titanic went down. Um, it's just so intense, man. And, like, they really respect him for it. And you can tell, like, he gets props once he gets brought on board. Um, they think he's crazy, but they also really understand, like, this guy is dedicated to what he's trying to tell us. And it's important. Absolutely. But you brought up an interesting point that I wanted to see if we could explore. What is it about guys named Jack and freezing cold waters? What is the attraction? <laughs> I have no idea. I didn't even notice. Yeah, you're right. So that might be something in the... If in only the, there had been a door when uh, Jack Ryan fell down by the submarine. And some girl is saying that she'd never let go. And he's like, I don't care if you'll never let go. I've got to get Ramius because, <laughs> you know, he's in a sub that's about to blow something up. But yeah, there's just, I mean, there's there's not a lot of these moments in the film, but they're so good. The two sub scenes that stick out the most, there's the one that the icy underwater canyon maneuvering um, when they're trying to run loud and outrun the freaking torpedo. And then it's this game of cat and mouse as much of one of tactical knowledge at that point. Um, and his crew's freaking out and you just, you really feel it all. And the, so the, the way that it's filmed, that action serves perfectly to enhance the tension that has already been built up to that point. And then the most memorable thing is the Dallas jumping in front of the torpedo. This might be the only moment in the film where I call BS a little bit that this is maybe slightly unrealistic because this is like Maverick sliding in front of a MIG or something, you know, to take on a torpedo essentially is what's happening. It's just a little bit Hollywood that a sub would be able to swoop in at the last second and like take over the, the draw from that torpedo, drop some countermeasures and then burst onto the surface and they're chanting and they're chanting. They're like, come on big D. And it's just, it's an amazingly memorable scene. Maybe a little unrealistic. Yeah. You know, but whatever, maybe it's a plot hole. Who knows? It's worth it to me to see (laughs) the sub jump out of the water because I, I that shot, I could, I could have that on the, desktop wallpaper because it just looks so freaking cool just have that as a running animated gif Ooh. you know just completely just a boom boom it's so good that'd be even better um <laughs> well you know patrick i had a connecting point in this film and and i can't shocker and i know these minisodes we're not really we don't do them on purpose but i couldn't help it because it was right there in front of me so i wanted to i'll try to keep it brief but i wanted to mention this the connecting point for me was all about this capturing of the Soviets' desire to live in a free America versus a controlling and communist Soviet Union. And I think that they were able to convey this in a very subtle and powerful way through what eventually becomes a tragic death for Borden. His last words are what you told you said earlier i would like to have seen montana and that's after he takes a bullet for ramius but the fact that that scene is juxtaposed with the crazy ivan gives it this incredible unique mix of tension and emotional stakes on a personal level so you're worried about the sub being blown up but you're also worried about borden on an individual level and what brings all of this to a satisfying conclusion for me or the way that or the or effect I guess I would say um, the reason it matters so much when Boridan takes that bullet and dies 
in Ramius's arms, like you said, is because of what happens before. When they're calm and they're just having a conversation. And Vasily says, I will live in Montana and I will marry a round American woman and raise rabbits. And she will cook them for me. And I will have a pickup truck, maybe even a recreational vehicle, and drive from state to state. Do they let you do that? Boom. Telling point. Obviously you can't do that in Soviet Union. Ramius says, I suppose. Borden says, no papers? Ramius says, no papers. State to state. Borden says, well then, in winter, I will live in Arizona. Actually, I think I'll need two wives. And Ramius says, oh, at least. Vasily says, what do you miss? Ramius says, I miss the piece of fishing like when I was a boy. Forty years I've been at sea. A war at sea. A war with no battles and no monuments. Only casualties. I widowed her the day I married her. My wife died while I was at sea, you know. There's so much character development and importance in this one scene. It, it really, to me, it sells the entirety of why Borden and Ramius and probably the rest of the officers would be doing this defection in the first place. And it's it's heartbreaking partially because some of this information is based on these stereotypes that they believe to be true. And it makes it funny and sweet and tender, and it's just fantastic. I absolutely agree. It's it's definitely my connecting point. There's a close second for me, and it's the very last scene of the of the film where Ryan and Ramius are talking. And this is what I think puts the exclamation point on the movie is they land in this lake and they make a joke about the fact that, you know, you get this big giant nuclear sub just floating in a lake, like Lake Washita or something like that. And Ryan says, you know, I grew up around here. In fact, if you look over there, um, that's the, uh, that, that island or whatever it was is where my, my father used to teach me to fish. And there's a moment that Ramius, of course, you know about Ramius and his history with fishing from that, from that scene. He looks at him and he says, uh, he says, my grandfather taught me the same thing on a similar, uh, on a similar lake, just like, just like here in, in Russia that scene, I think, brings – I mean, this is this is a movie that is taking place in, in the kind of the wake of the Cold War. So it's very much an echo of our relationship or the tension that the U.S. has with with the, the Soviets. And you mentioned your scene not being so heavy-handed, how very – there's a lot of subtlety in what's being said. I think this does the same thing because what it does is it attaches a sense of common ground in humanity. Here are two men – coming from two different countries, two different worlds who have something in common. They both grew up near a lake learning to fish. Something so simple, something so mundane, but something so special to them. And it created a moment of connectivity for both of them. And I think there was a moment of respect there that Ramius and Ryan sort of gave to each other. I mean, it was there when they first met, but I think this is where that was more of an official kind of military, you're CIA, I'm this. This was more of a, you're a guy just like me, and we both want the same thing in some ways. Yeah, it's a beautiful ending. I mean, and, and the last words, I believe, are, welcome to the new world, yeah. sir. 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 
Um, and that's so important. Like he's he's got such a respect and he carries through. The only thing I didn't like about that scene is, you know what? When they surface, they're talking about this being a fishing spot from Ryan's childhood. What if there had been fishing boats right there on that lake where they surfaced? Well, all the radiation from the sub from earlier just kind of cleared all the boats out so they wouldn't have made it. Well, so they they're already there. dead, so it's okay. But there's yeah, no fish. Yeah, fine. Then they're dead, and the fish are dead if the radiation is yeah, leaking. They'd find a new lake. Uh, I mean, this this is just for mm-hmm. look. It's okay. So so it's a plot hole. Let's I'm just kidding. leave it at it's that. Not, no, no, no. We learned about <laughs> plot holes from Patrick Willem this week. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Listeners, if you've not seen Patrick Willem, he was a guest on our uh, Quiet Place episode, and he does YouTube videos that are fantastic. Look at him up, Patrick H. Willem, and uh, he has a video that is describing what plot holes really are versus what people think them to be. And it is incredible and so smart. So I highly recommend that. Well, Patrick, is there anything else you wanted to uh, touch on? Didn't you want to talk a minute about Greer? I just wanted to see, what was it that sticks out so much to you about the relationship between Ryan and Greer? Well, I mentioned the thread of all these movies. And I say all these, I mean like the first three. (laughs) And I think the relationship between Greer and Ryan literally starts here. But it figuratively starts here as well. There's this great moment when Ryan sits down and Greer's like, how's your family? And James Earl Jones is just phenomenal in this. He's like, and and Ryan says, they're good. They're good. Uh, And he starts telling the story about how his daughter wants them to have another baby, but then like she needs a little brother. And then she says, but she'll settle for another bear, you know, or, or another, she'll, she'll settle for somebody for her, whatever the bear's name is. And Greer's like, who is that? He goes, a stuffed bear. You know, like, you should know that. And seeing little pockets of their relationship, the awkwardness of Jack being brought into the sit room and Greer almost laughing at him, saying, yeah, you've got to do the slideshow. You've got to do the presentation. It plays itself out so well in Patriot Games and then eventually in Clear and Present Danger. And why I gravitate towards Clear and Present Danger so much is because this is the latter part of their relationship they have history and so harrison ford specifically as jack ryan and his chemistry with james earl jones is so great you mentioned earlier i think either offline or maybe even during the episode about having an a a super a surprising emotional connection to clear and present danger that's why i like it so much is because it's so emotionally engaging i love that it sincerely begins here that it's not forced in the other two films that it's just a continuation there okay well that's a great reason um i completely agree with you i think that the arc between the two of them is really cool and it's nice that james Earl jones is able to move it forward as if the actor never changed um that's acting for you right like to him it's jack ryan the character and uh, now we get to see that and, and yeah it is definitely an awesome first moment there where he throws them under the bus essentially at the the briefing. And then you kind of compare that to how powerful and, and just destroy it is to Jack Ryan later when, you know, Claire and President Dater happens. So good stuff, man. Well, this is great. I'm so glad that they chose this for us. And I am definitely excited to find out how this new series is going to go. I'm, I'm a little reluctant. I'm a little nervous, but I'm also... It's John Krasinski. I'm Come happy. on. Yeah, I know. I mean, it can't... That's the thing, is I feel like the floor is higher. Yeah. Even if it doesn't achieve, you know, greatness, it, it can only be so bad because it's got John Krasinski as Jack Ryan. So we'll okay. see. I'm excited to see the tech. 
um, from this day and age, what they're able to do, technically speaking, with the military aspects of of the stories. And I think the fact that it's a series instead of a, a new movie, I think that gives it some some pluses for me because you can do a lot more character development, which is why we like these movies in a TV series with that long form storytelling. So plus I like John Krasinski, his, his latest acting chops outside of the office have just really impressed me. And so I, I I'm going to believe in that until I see it and hopefully yeah. I'll believe in it afterwards. <laughs> well, we'll be seeing it very soon. It drops in two days. I think it is. Heck yeah. All right. Heck yeah. All right, man. Well, where can people find you online if they want to continue the conversation with you? Check me out. I'm at Shoeless Patch on Facebook and Twitter, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. And you can find me on Twitter at Feelin' Film. Um, you can find us both in our Facebook group. You can find a link to that in the show notes or on the website, or you can just type in Feelin' Film. No, I do this wrong every time because FF and Facebook, it all starts with F. Facebook.com slash groups slash feeling film and yeah you can answer a couple questions and we'll approve you and you'll be a part of the growing community that loves talking about movies every day all day long and we would be happy to have you but until then stay positive and keep feeling film <laughs>